The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, today we're going to be talking about a fun topic, sex. (laughs) That's a good, good way to end the year, right? Sex, all its many, um, all the many ways it plays havoc with our minds and our bodies. And my guest, who um, I want to get right to, is Ken Baker. He is the author of a new book called *The Late Bloomer: A Memoir of My Body*. Now, Ken, welcome to the show. Thank you, Carol. Um, Ken actually was on, has been on the show before with um, a previous book that. He wrote um, the what was it? Hussein. I'm looking for the title here. Um, <laughs> Hollywood Hussein. Yeah. Hollywood Hussein. Much, Do you remember that? <laughs> much different book, but yeah, that yes. was a long time ago. It was like ten years ago. <laughs> yes, 2005. Yes. Wow. Well, wow. and it is a much bigger, much different book. Yes, I must say before you get into what it's about and all that, I must congratulate you. I mean, I must say um, that I really admire you for writing such an unbelievably honest um, book that, I mean, I, don't, I have never read a book that talks about the penis in as, in as honest, um, uh, revealing terms as you have, and, um, and your feelings and your, what happened to you and sex and all of this. Um, I mean, that, that was very brave of you to, to write such a revealing book. Well, it's funny you say that because whenever someone says, uh, so The Late Bloomer, this book, and it's a movie now, too. It's out on yes. Netflix right now. The movie adaptation of my memoir. They, people ask me, like, who have no idea. They're like, and I just do this to kind of mess with them a little bit, but it's actually true. They'll say, well, what's it about? And I was like, um, well... It's the autobiography of my penis, but uh, <laughs> that gets them like kind of that gets their attention. Obviously, the book is much is is honestly it's much more than that. It's 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 about the power of hormones. It's the power. It's the uh, really comes down to how our identities are show can be so shaped, or at least yeah. our gender sexual identities can be so shaped by our hormonal makeup and uh and i just happen to have a very harrowing experience with a, a brain tumor on my pituitary yes. gland and, and, and wait before we get into your story too much i do want to give you a more a better introduction because ken is an award-winning author and journalist he is also a former pro athlete 
He's a television news personality. He's the senior correspondent for E! News, as well as the host of E! Online's daily web show, Live from E! Ken has been, um, you have been like pretty much uh, a celebrity journalist for pretty much everything, People Magazine, Us Weekly, Us Magazine, and, and other television shows and so on, which, which actually, um, one of the things I want to get back to after you tell the story is it's been so interesting that you have been following and reporting on celebrities for years, and, um, and now you were actually revealing, I mean, in fact, that's what you said for why, um, why you wanted to do this or why you thought you should do this, that you should um, tell the truth about or real, reveal um, things about yourself just in the same way that you have been doing all these years about Hollywood celebrities. Yeah, I mean, well, thank you for the introduction. That's nice of you. And, yeah, I mean, anyone who's familiar with uh, E! News or follows kind of the world of celebrity and the, or as I call it, the Kardashian industrial complex, um, anyone who follows those things probably is familiar with my work or might be from, from E! News. But, um, you know, I have been at this for quite some time, and uh, the story that I wrote about the late bloomer was actually, I'm now in my mid-40s, and this was uh, a story that, of something really that happened to me in my late 20s where I had noticed I had really severe headaches. I had no sex drive. I completely quit sports. You mentioned I was... Uh, I had played pro hockey and um, and done a lot of things like that, but um, I had completely gotten out of sports altogether. Uh, again, like no sex drive. I couldn't really put on muscle and have my own issues. And I was in denial about it, pretty much. Um, I ended up moving out to Los Angeles and uh, and worked for People Magazine, as you mentioned, as a correspondent, and started getting into that world and. And uh, then just one day, I was, you know, at the urging of um, a friend of mine, I went and for once and for all to the doctor, which I didn't really want to deal with because I was in a great state of denial, which I think men are especially good at mm-hmm. when it comes to the matters of their health. And I got a full, you know, blood work, full, uh, full physical, head to toe at, with a really good doctor named Joshua Trabulus who used to work out of Beverly Hills. Um, and he diagnosed me with not only uh, a tumor attached to my pituitary gland that was the size of a chestnut, roughly, or a walnut, something like that, but it was secreting a female hormone called prolactin. I call it a female hormone because men just have trace amounts, but women have it so that when they're lactating, they can produce breast milk to feed babies. So it's prolactin creates uh, the ability to lactate. So I, my tumor had been secreting this hormone. And the interesting thing about prolactin is when men have it, the higher your prolactin gets, the lower your testosterone. And my doctor estimated that I had had that tumor since I was in my early teens at least. And it had been growing, 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 secreting more and more of the hormone to the point where I had 150 times the level of prolactin that a woman who's uh, nursing or lactating has. So needless to say, my body was in complete disarray. I was, you know, depressed. I was feeling a lot of things, but then as is depicted in the book and, and the movie, which 
actually, believe it or not, plays it for comedy. It's a <laughs> brain tumor comedy, Carol. Uh, <laughs> um, it's uh, the, the, really the story of the transformation that took place in my life when I was 27, 28, where it was almost like going through puberty <laughs> in the span of a few weeks. And it was absolutely crazy. Everything from starting to develop hair and acne to my sex drive being like out of control all overnight. And, um, and that's kind of the, that's the story that I tell in the late bloomer because I truly was a late bloomer. I had begun going through puberty when I was younger and I, you know, I wasn't like a real boy or anything, but everything got kind of stunted and I never really had a full experience of testosterone because I was being sapped of it for so long. And, um, you know, it's a really a survivor's tale. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, it's funny, I, uh, it is a movie now as well, and I saw the trailer of it. Um, you know, if that had been, if they made this movie, just if it was just some uh, uh, scriptwriter's fantasy, people would say, oh, pff, that, that couldn't really happen. But, you know, now it's amazing that it's a true story. Yeah. It's unfortunately true. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, it's they funny, would say um, that they, they were just doing <laughs> this for comedy. Oh, you know, that couldn't really happen. Yeah. But, yeah. but um, well, you know, also you talk about how in your family, I mean, you had four brothers. You were the fourth of five brothers. And um, you talk about <laughs> it, was, it's a, it was a very particularly difficult family to grow up in, uh, having these kinds of problems, not really... Um, developing puberty when the normal time is for that to happen when your brothers, or at least uh, the older ones, seem to be uh, uh, early puberty developers. I mean, they, you know, like macho men. Macho is a good word. Yeah, I grew up outside of Buffalo, New York um, in the 70s and 80s. And, uh, you know, my dad, God bless him, um, he died when I was 25, uh, 24. Mm. And or 25, sorry. And um, he was a consummate, macho, old school, sort of that blue collar mentality, you know, child of the 40s and 50s and, you know, got married in the 60s. And, you know, it was a different generation, a different time and different definitions of manhood and expectations and things like that. And, and so I, I really grew up in that environment. And, yeah, I had four brothers. Three of them were older and uh, at various points enjoyed, you know, beating up on the little brother. Uh, so I learned how to have to be tough and be strong and all that kind of stuff. Now, meanwhile, uh, while I'm just trying to survive what at times was a pretty crazy family environment of five boys in the house with, you know, working parents and all the chaos of that, um, you know, I started to struggle uh, in adolescence with this brain tumor that I didn't know I had. Uh, secreting this female hormone that I didn't know was in my body. And so it was almost like this very Kafka-esque sort of experience of not knowing what is happening to me, but just knowing something's gone wrong. And, and it's happening so slowly over such a long period of time that it's very insidious. And really what you learn in the book is sort of how I really take people inside in a very candid way, honestly, like, I just knew that if I was going to write this story, and my editor was this awesome guy, Mitch Horowitz, over at Penguin Tarcher, and, and he, um, every, my first draft, every time I'd write a little anecdote or a story about something that happened to me, 
like, say I was with a girl and I couldn't sexually perform or whatever, I'd always sort of, like, cut it short, not get into the gory details. Mm. And he would say, he would write in the margins, go deeper, go uh-huh. deeper. And, and, and he did it, like, at least, like, 50 times in the first draft of that book. And so, really, the book, which, you know, really has resonated with people who've read it, because it is so personal and intimate, um, is, you know, people are reacting really to the second draft I wrote of that because I think I just had to get the story out there and then I needed someone to tell me it was okay to really mm-hmm. tell the real story. And, um, and I'll tell you, Carol, you know, it's very liberating. You're, you know, men- mental health professional among the other things, but just to, I mean, I've, of course, have done my share of therapy and kind of worked through things and, um, but I think, like, sharing my story was very therapeutic for me. But the bigger thing was I really want to – the reason why I wrote it was I really feel like people take for granted just how delicate their biochemistry and their biochemical balances that sort of makes their reality, you know, and how we interpret and experience life. And when it comes to the sex hormones, all those levels, how we interact and how we perceive and how we are perceived by other people in a sexual way um, with our hormones, pheromones, the whole thing. And, and I can tell you, I'm here to come back. I'm, I'm, I, I went to that dark place where my body was at war with itself, and I virtually had no testosterone in my body. I'm in my 20s. I'm confused. I don't know what's going on. And I will tell you that when my hormones all came kicking in the way they were meant to be, my life experience completely changed. And I was noticing things that I didn't notice before. Like, I go to the beach. I'm like, wow, there's a lot of good-looking girls down here. I mean, I've been to the beach a hundred times, you know. Um, but it really, I, I want to be able to understand and grasp just how delicate that balance is and how, you know, having your hormonal health really is so important. Yes. You know, you, when you were mentioning about your father dying when you were 25, 26, that was right before you went to the doctor. Do you think maybe um, you finally uh, bit the bullet and went to see a doctor because, like, his, his death made you face your own mortality or, you know, you didn't want to uh, sort of be surprised with some kind of physical problem? Yeah, for sure. I think, and that's very astute because that's actually did what happened. What happened, and you kind of you see, you can you learn in the book that the relationship between my father, who had been struggling with diabetes and ultimately lung cancer for years and years, and the specter of him dying and always being afraid. I woke up in the morning if he was going to be awake or not with mm. different heart failure issues that he had and. No, I lived with that for so long, and yeah, it's no coincidence that two years after he died that I finally, after sifting through all that grief, I got to the point where I could just focus on myself and my health, and uh, thank God I did. I mean, the kind of tumor I had, it's called a prolactinoma. It's benign, um, but at the same time, you don't want to mask of abnormal cell growth in that particular part of your body, about three inches behind your eyes, um, there's not a lot of room there for much. There's a lot of uh, arteries and there's your optic nerves and not to mention your pituitary gland that's pressed in between 
your brain tissue. So it's a, I was very fortunate to get it diagnosed. It's very unfortunate that it took me so long to get diagnosed that I had this tumor that was secreting a level of 1,500 of prolactin when I should have only had a level of four or five. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there's a lot of lessons I think people can take away from it, but not just men, but women, like understanding men, understanding, like I yes. said, how we are so ruled by, like, in other words, I notice things about me being not like all the time, but like all of a sudden, like I was the most passive emotional kind of guy. And in fact, there's a thing with someone with as much prolactin as I had where my doctor, my endocrinologist called it, you kind of get this estrogenic effect. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was so sensitive and, you know, such a sweet guy and everything. I mean, I still <laughs> am, you know. But like, honestly, like I had the testosterone go through me and I was like, all of a sudden I could be a real jerk, <laughs> you know. I always joke, I'm like, I used to always ask for directions, and then I got healthy with the testosterone, I never asked for directions anymore. <laughs> it's like, uh, yes, it's like you went from being a good boy to a bad boy overnight. I know, it was so, I, you know, just because it was such a profound experience for me, and we all go through hormonal issues, whether it's dysfunctional in my case, or just natural of going through puberty, or going through menopause, or going through all the fluctuations, men lose 2% of their uh, testosterone after the, every year after the age of 25. I mean, we all go through hormonal changes. You know, I just heard a story about a guy I know who is in his mid-50s and just decided he was going to start wearing testosterone gel and things like that. And mm-hmm. from what I hear, it's kind of ruined his life. <laughs> I mean, his behavior and personality changes. I mean, this is a real serious issue, um, and I encourage everyone to, you know, if you have any inkling that things aren't right with you some way, like it's, and it's more on a biochemical level, like you just feel something, I go to an endocrinologist. It's so easy. You get blood work done, and you got, it tells such a story, just the blood work, and uh, I definitely encourage that for everybody. Yes, that's absolutely true. You know, when you mentioned about women, um, uh, reading the book and women, you know, giving, I mean, yes, the stories that you tell about uh, what it was like for you when you would meet a woman you were attracted to and and um, either you would hit on her or she would hit on you and you would find yourselves, you know, in bed somewhere um, or someplace where uh, it was expected to have sex. and um, And when you weren't able to perform, the impact that that had, of course, on you, how devastating that was and how confused women would get when they weren't able to arouse you and how, you know, they would have different reactions to that and how painful that all was for everybody. Yeah, I mean, I would get everything, uh, you know, when I'd have the quote-unquote failure to launch episodes, Uh which are really painfully uh, detailed in the book, some of them, and one was a date I went on. I was very young. I just interviewed Drew Barrymore. I'm working in Hollywood. She invited me to her party that she had, her birthday party. And I realized that Drew Barrymore was flirting with me. And I panicked because I didn't want me to get into some sort of situation where I couldn't perform sexually. And I was so uncomfortable with my body. I just like left the party, you know, and my friends were like, what are you doing? Um, you know, I really, for me, like those, 
those experiences of not being able to perform sexually, like, were so, um, you know, I mean, it's one thing if it's, like, a one-time thing or someone, like, you're drunk or whatever. I mean, this was chronic and just, I, my body just was not able to function, you know, in a biologically. And, you know, it's interesting, the reaction from women, you know, there was, and I write this in the book, I mean, there were women who would blame themselves got to be me there's something wrong with me you're not attracted to me and yeah which was which was hard because no pun intended sorry which was <laughs> difficult um which was difficult because i i really i'm dealing with my own humiliation and feeling bad about myself and then i'm feeling bad for them because they're like blaming themselves i'm like oh my gosh this is a nightmare <laughs> yeah um and then there were women who would get angry at me you know, like, you know, like, you know, you're a freak. Like, what's wrong with you? You know, they would have anger from it. Um, and then there were, you know, women which, are just confused. You know? Which was really the, um, the opposite side of the same coin. They really were thinking, what do you mean? He doesn't think I'm pretty enough? Why, you know, why is he not responding to me? So, um, you know, it was just the other, the flip side of that. Yeah, and it, you know, and it was painful for me. I mean, I, you know, knock on every bit of wood I can. It's uh, not. I'm very healthy now, and I, I don't take it for granted. Like I'm very because, you know, anyone who's had the experience of their body just not being able to do what they want it to do, and from having a broken leg and not being able to walk for, you know having a broken arm and not be able to use your arm or you have a broken wrist or whatever. It's like anyone who's experienced that. But when you have that and it's like impacting your sexual function, also you have all these other very mysterious sort of like hormonal things going on that are really affecting your brain chemistry. It was, yeah, I was very depressed. And, um, and, you know, as I tell in the book, and you see it in the movie as well, in the late bloomer movie too. It's like, I, I really struggled with being quote normal because it really wasn't normal. It was a hyper normal situation where I was just suddenly infused with these hormones and my, mm-hmm. my pituitary gland was on overdrive. Like it was like this incredible, they actually have a word for it. The endocrinologists call it testosterone storm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's, it's, uh, it's a scary, it's a, it, it can be exhilarating, but, uh, and, you know, it's these guys who are injecting themselves or putting gel and ointments on their body for synthetic testosterone, and they have all these crazy reactions and personality changes. You know, I really understand that, and I think it's a very, I, I, I think there's a lot of over, over-prescribing of testosterone, and it, it can be really dangerous, uh-huh. actually. But you can also relate to their desperation being in a somewhat Absolutely. similar state to, as, as you were before. Yeah, uh, yeah but I, th- I think a lot of guys are like, oh, I want to take testosterone gel because, you, know, you know, I somehow feel like I'm less of a man. Yes, well, guess what? Yes, the yes. whole point is this. So if there's a big point in the book, and yes. the one thing about this, the movie is that I wanted to make sure this message got across. There's a big difference between being a man and being male. It's easy to be male. Hey, I got hormones. I'm this. This is. I got these body parts. I'm male. That has nothing to do with being a man. Yes. It has. It has as little to do with being a man 
as having fake boobs makes someone more of a woman. Yes, that's a good. That's a great analogy. Um, yes, you make that point throughout the book in different ways. Um, you know, one of the things that you said that really struck me was uh, about how you were so desperate in your state. You know that you were when they finally did diagnose you, you were willing to risk having a stroke or a brain injury in order to get this fixed. They said to me, look, you could live with this if it stops growing and you take this medicine, you could live with this for the rest of your life. You might have, you know, some headaches. We can treat that with pain medication. You um, have to deal with the side effects of the drug, which, you know, can be some fatigue and things like that. But, you know, you could essentially live hormonally normal, but you're going to have this tumor in your head. And, um, but we can't shrink it. It's going to be there. And I was taking like 12 pills a day at this point. And, you know, I could have just said, you know, I'm just going to try to live with it. But I really felt that I'd suffered enough and it was worth the risk. I, you know, and it's interesting if I would have waited 20 years, because now it's been almost 20 years, actually. It's going to be 20 uh-huh. years. Well, it's actually going to be 20 years coming up. If I would have waited, the procedure is so much uh, better now. Um, <laughs> the, the gruesome way in which they climbed up through my nut sinus cavity into the base of my brain. They do it endoscopically now with a camera and the whole thing. So, um, yes, but, but that I would have been 20 years of... <laughs> Lots of suffering. suffering. Would have missed yeah, out on. Was, yeah, my my liver would have been begging to like go get <laughs> surgery. So it all worked out for me. Luckily, um, it wasn't an easy surgery or six hour surgery and some infections and pretty uh, difficult recovery in the first twenty four hours. And I detail that in the book. And you know, it's yeah. I, I think that I, I hope and I know people do take away from it that um, look at. We are physical creatures, and we have to care for our physical selves and be self-aware and really respect that in other people as well. And, um, and I think we kind of can forget it. We can kind of forget that that's the case, and I hope that message definitely comes across. Yes, absolutely. And what also comes across is how you talk about how grateful you are that um, because of the things that happened in your earlier life with this problem um, and the mystery of it and the confusion and all of that, as well as the symptoms, um, that you're so much more grateful now for all of the good things that you have in your life. Yeah, I mean, I think anyone who's gone through things like cancer or, you know, a heart attack or things that are very debilitating and life-threatening and life-altering you know, if you don't come back from that filled with gratitude for every moment, then you're not paying attention because the universe is trying to teach you a lesson and you're not learning it. <laughs> and so for me, it really has turned out to be a blessing. Me telling that story, writing that book, um, that's, you know, now out in paperback and it's all over the place and having it made into a movie that ultimately, you know, they say, and not only a movie, but a comedy. <laughs> and there are some funny things. Don't get me wrong. There's some very dark parts of the story, but it's funny things that happen mm-hmm. when your body's going haywire. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, they say laughter is the best form of medicine, and I'm living 
proof of that. And I can tell you that I can attest that it has been a really therapeutic experience for me to share it and not be ashamed. And, you know, someone said to me, a friend of mine said to me, they read my book and they went and saw the movie. <laughs> I can I have to give you credit. You're not afraid to let your freak flag fly. And I was like, I was like, well, that's true, but I wasn't always that way. And that's maybe I'm overcorrecting a little bit, but I am, uh, I like to say I'm the editorial director of overshare.com. <laughs> if there's well, actually overshare.com, I'm sorry. I, I'm not actually, I don't even know if that's a real website. <laughs> Somebody should, should get it. <laughs> if not, yeah. but. I, you know, it really, um, well, first of all, let me, let me again mention the name of the book. It's called The Late Bloomer, A Memoir of My Body. In the movie, you said the same name is on Netflix. And um, I really recommend both to everybody because, because it really, you know, your being so willing to share um, really makes people more comfortable with their own bodies and their own sexual um, uh, awkward experiences and um, just, you know, the idea invites people to be more open about their own secrets. So thank you so much for sharing today on Dr. Carol's Couch and so, thank you so much for sharing in your book and the movie. And um, I, I know that you're continuing to write more books about other topics and so um, hopefully you will come on again to share that as well. But this was really, I mean, this is a tour de force. So I think, uh, again, I, just like I started the show, I, I really admire you for... For, for doing all of that, for um, being for sharing such personal, personal things. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it. And I'll uh, come on anytime you'll have me. Okay, that's great. <laughs> that was Ken Baker, everybody. Watch him on E! And look for his other books. And again, this book is The Late Bloomer, A Memoir of My Body. So thank you very much, Ken. And this, this is... Uh, We're now going to go to the second part of the show. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, so stay tuned. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. Don't write 
And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We were just speaking with Ken Baker about his new book called The Late Bloomer, A Memoir of My Body, which is also now a movie on Netflix. Um, so let's talk for the rest of the show about sex. I really, you know, I really do recommend his book because um, you will find yourself in situations that you um, can relate to, even though you didn't presumably have a pituitary hormone and delayed puberty. But there are still so many things um, about about sex, about attraction, um, about one's body that pretty much everybody can relate to. And so let's look at let's let's talk a little more about sex. First of all, Freud, of course, is the um, the uh, original person who put sex in the spotlight. Um, he described it as one of our two inborn drives, sex and violence. Now, um, sex is supposed to be uh, through a you know a positive childhood is supposed to be associated with love. Uh, in other words, this this sexual drive that we're all born with um, is supposed to be by having a loving childhood associated with love, and um, and it's we're supposed to you know pick up that association and look for love and look to combine in an ideal world look to combine sex and love when we grow up. But unfortunately, um, for uh, various reasons, it. Um, we can, you know, notably relationships with parents and, and siblings and uh, strangers and um, our sex drive can become twisted and um, have us and result in, in situations where it's not connected to love. And I'm not talking about Ken Baker here. Um, this was a totally different story. I'm talking in general about everybody, all of us. Um, because whatever happens in childhood, you know, is what directs our drives. Just like with violence, our second uh, inborn drive, that is supposed to be, if we have a loving uh, childhood, uh, violence is supposed to be connected to and transitioned into ambition. In other words, it's not, you know, we're not supposed to uh, turn into killers we're supposed to, uh, to use that drive in a healthy way to become ambition, to, to, be com- to compete, to want to reach goals in our life. And so that's, you know, the key is really what happens to us. We're all born with these drives and putting aside, you know, um, uh, physical issues like a pituitary uh, tumor. But just norm- in normal situations, um, we... We're each born with these drives, and and these and given a normal childhood, it's supposed to, they're supposed to attach these things or develop these things in a normal way. Unfortunately, um, you know that doesn't always happen. Now that's in childhood. Um, we also have things when we grow up, or as we're well. I, let me give a good example of uh, some of the things that can change or distort our normal sexual drive, like for little girls. If little girls, and of course, you know, of course, issues of being sexually abused for little girls and little boys um, or things like that, of course that's going to have a tremendous impact on our developing a normal um, sex life as we grow up. But even more, less, um, less traumatic 
things, although this is traumatic too, but I mean less uh, severe kinds of traumas like abuse, um, just a more common everyday kind of trauma is divorce, uh, parents' divorce. And so when little girls uh, have parents who get divorced um, and daddy goes off and, you know, typically um, the little girl does not see her daddy as often. Sometimes daddies get divorced because they find uh, another woman and um, sometimes they then develop uh, a relationship either with that original woman or some other woman and they get married and they have children and they have another family. And so the, the bottom line is what happens is that the daddy isn't in the household anymore. And uh, whether he met another woman or, he's there, or they're just divorced for whatever other reason, daddy is not in the household anymore. And yes, of course, you know, custody... Um, they're all variations on custody, but typically if the little girl is spending more time with mommy, um, she misses this male attention. She misses, she misses this and begins to feel as though she is um, not, not attractive, not desirable. If, you know, little kids, girls and boys, blame themselves for their parents' divorce anyway, and so little girls think, oh, if I was prettier, if I was smarter, if I was funnier, all these different things, daddy would never have left our home. He would still be around. And now I don't see him as much. So what happens? What's been happening over the last, oh, it's been happening more and more. You know, it's more than a decade now. I guess it's a couple of decades. But it's been happening, well, as more people are getting divorced and as there are more children of divorce, um, Little girls start wanting to start being desperate for male attention, the male attention that they're not getting from their daddy. And so they start even in, in, it's at least now in middle school and, uh, you know, it's probably, it's certainly at risk for, if not already in, um, you know, fifth and sixth grade. But little girls are trying to get male attention from boys that they meet. Um, by ha- sexting uh, at ever younger ages, ever more inappropriate ages, um, showing, you know, tr- just trying to get some kind of a guy to ooh and ah and, and give them attention. And then it goes beyond that to giving guys oral sex because, again, the little girl is trying to get attention from guys. And it's not really that, you know, in middle school that a girl um, wants sex per se, because girls still grow up with fairy tales, um, even more than boys, uh, to, to the point where they think, of, they think that these guys, even in junior high school, um, they, they're expecting these guys to stay with them. This is going to be my boyfriend. If I give him oral sex, he's going to be my boyfriend. And, um, and I'll have this man in my life, you know, a replacement for daddy. But you know that that's not what happens. Guys in, in middle school and, and high school uh, and college um, are really looking to just um, put more notches on their belt. And so what happens? The little girl is left devastated, uh, not even so little. I mean, teenage girl even. even. Even when it's a teenage girl, they are devastated. Or even when it's a girl in her 20s, she is devastated. But the younger, of course, that she is, or the, the, earliest, the earlier the experience is, the more devastated she is. And that's just more proof that you can't trust men. You know, men leave you, men abandon you just like your daddy did. 
so um, this, you know, this causes this causes these kinds of um, sexual, normal sexual drives um, that would come later in life. It, ca- it causes it to be twisted because now sex is associated with abandonment. And so, um, and I talk about this in my book, Bad Girls. I talk about how um, girls, uh, when they get rejected enough times, they either close up shop and sort of, decide, even though they tell everybody they want a boyfriend or want a husband, they really have given up on love and on sex. They're afraid that they'll just be hurt again and again and again. So they turn into bad girls, which means girls who, um, because they've given up the, on, on finding a prince, a man who's going to love them for them, they, um, they just you know, go for guys to exploit them for something. And I talk about 12 different types and, of course, the most obvious kind of type to understand fitting this profile is um, the gold digger type who has given up finding a man who's going to love her for her, finding true love, having sex with a, you know, in a true love relationship. And so basically um, she just finds men who are rich <laughs> and who can give her gold, you know, gold diggers, um, and she pretends to herself that this is as good as love and not really enjoying the sex because it really isn't connected to love. Um, at the beginning, there may be some tinge of that because it's, it's sort of a conquest, so it's kind of exciting. It's not really love-love, but um, it can seem exciting. And then, um, and then really they have sold themselves. So, and of course, um, of course, you know, the... the uh, bad boys, like I was, I was saying actually with Ken, that he went from b- before the surgery to restore his natural balance of hormones. Um, you know, he was, as he describes himself in his book, and today uh, he, he just described himself as kind of passive and a good boy and a gentleman and um, just really sweet. You know, it's like, in a way, it's, uh, we say, women <laughs> say this is what they want, and then, um, and then it isn't. Then they then they go for the bad boys. But certainly at the beginning, at least, um, you know, this is a very attractive quality. And then, and then he got his hormones back in a uh, testosterone storm and turned into a bad boy. And you know, he's not. I mean, he's not the kind. Of, I mean, I that was my first book, Bad Boys, and I talk about men who is, it's not, you know, this was sort of a surgically caused bad boy. It wasn't, because I talk about how bad boys are caused by the relationship that they have with their mother, just like bad girls I was just describing are caused, are created by the relationship that they have with their father. And so, um, so you know, and, and I talk about 12 different types of bad boys as well, and, um, you know, the kind who cheat or the kind, again, I don't know if, I'm <laughs> not putting this on again, but I'm just saying of the, of the 12 profiles that I write about, the guys who cheat or um, the guys who are looking for someone to be a mommy to them and then once they um, get, you know, get taken care of up to a, the point that they're trying to reach, then they dump the mommy and that kind of thing. So, um, so you know, so it's so it's really very complicated. Not only are there are there hormones that we all have to deal with that um, are stronger and weaker at various parts of our life, even if we don't have a, a a pituitary tumor or some other kind of physical problem that causes 
uh, havoc, just in the normal kind of um, ebbing and flowing of our hormones. You know, people, girls getting their periods earlier than other girls or developing breasts earlier than other girls. And, you know, it was always kind of a, it was, you know, on the one hand, um, that was, it was, it was a positive thing in that girls, some girls liked the attention that these developed breasts got from guys, they got from guys because of them. But other girls, um, it really kind of had a very damaging impact on their life because it got them to, um, to use their breasts, their femininity, their sex appeal at too early an age, you know, when, they, when they're just developing, just starting puberty at an early age, um, that it was kind of an unwanted thing in the end, or they became, or, or other girls depended upon it too much to, as a way to attract men. In other words, they thought that the only thing that a man is going to like about them is their physical, um, well, not just physical appearance, but breasts, you know, which, which, of course, to boys of that age, when the girls are hitting puberty, you know, um, a similar age, uh, that that is a sexual turn-on. So, so all these things um, <laughs> mess us up, um, you know, make life very confusing. And it really is uh, important to, to sort of come to terms with that, to, um, uh, to try to accept our bodies, to try, of course, you know, not to say that you shouldn't go to the doctor, uh, if there are things that you're feeling aren't quite right, um, and certain, whether you're a teen or, a, or just hitting puberty or you're an adult, obviously we do have to be sensitive to things um, because especially nowadays people, are, pe- people put off going to the doctor for a lot of reasons, and men are worse at that than women because um, they don't really want to hear what the doctor might say. In other words, if you don't go to the doctor, you don't get blood tests, you don't get an EKG, you don't get various tests, um, then you could be, you don't have to hear the bad news as early as you would as if you went to the doctor. But of course, I'm sure you all realize that that is not, um, that that's a very dangerous way of, of living because when things get found later, uh, I mean, fortunately, Ken's tumor was benign, but still, as he was saying, and it's true, the, as a tumor grows in your brain um, anywhere, but like especially in your brain, which is in a, a hard uh, skull, you know, it's, it's, there's only so much space inside your skull. So even benign tumors can be very dangerous and have, um, have terrible effects, making you blind and doing, you know, depending upon what part of your brain they're sitting on, they can, they affect that, they cause problems in that area, the speech area um, or movement area. So, so, so it really is important to, uh, to, to, when you're feeling anything, whether it has to do with sex or any other part of your body, it really is important to go for checkups sooner rather than later. And I know that um, with all the crazy stuff that's happening with, with uh, insurance, and with the recession that they keep telling us is over and uh, all of that, people are tending to put off, I mean, besides not wanting to hear bad news, people, for practical reasons, are putting off going to the doctor. 
But, um, of course, you know that the sooner you find things, the, the less of a problem it, it really is, whether it's a growing tumor, benign or malignant, or anything else, diabetes, where the sooner you catch that, you know, in an early stage, it is more likely to be able to be controlled by diet and exercise. But um, if you don't take care of yourself um, until, and you wait until a later stage, you know, when it really has, has already been having an impact on various parts of your body, your, your eyes, your, um, your nervous system, and so on. So, um, so the, you know, and that's why one of my pet peeves and, uh, is when, when people, uh, when, when you, there, and there recently there have been more and more of these headlines talking about how, oh, women don't really ne- need to get mammograms so often and men really don't need to get prost- blood tests for prostate. Um, yo, you can, you don't need all that so often. You don't need it every year. You can wait. Well, you know, <laughs> I usually tweet about that because it gets me so angry. I want to. I want to try to correct people um, as much as soon as quickly as possible. But um, in fact, in fact, you do need it. In fact, the re- only reason why there are these so-called studies saying that you don't need uh, to get these things as often as they once said is because it costs money. It costs the government money. If it costs insurance companies money, if you have insurance. And it costs the government money if you're on any kind of um, medical assistance, you know, Medicare, Medi-Cal, Medicaid, um, uh, Obamacare. Um, they don't want to pay for these things. They don't want you going every year to get these checkups. What? These preventive tests? You know, it, but if, if people were lined up uh, in a row, how, how many lives were saved by people actually going every year? Uh, it, it would, it, it's staggering. So whenever you hear a new study, a so-called new study that tells you, you don't, you don't need to go get, because that plays right into our, um, uh, that plays right into our own, our own <laughs> feelings, our own, uh, you know, we're colluding because just what I was saying, nobody wants to go to the doctor and hear bad news. So, okay, look, this new study said, hey, you don't need to go that often, so I am, so I won't go that often. <laughs> you know, it costs, if it costs, like if you have to pay a copay or um, you have to take time out of your, out of your day, um, you know, that you, you think you're doing, you, you, have, you have to work or you have to do other things and you don't want to take the time from your day. I mean, it's very easy to say, yeah, that's right. I saw another um, a, 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 a headline just, just this week where they talked about how Women who have abortions aren't affected psychologically. Words to that effect. Really? <laughs> they haven't talked to the patients that I have um, who, who have been affected. Now, when you read the article, uh, we have to get down far into the article. It finally says that they were comparing women who were rejected, who were not allowed to get an abortion, uh, you know, who either because of where they lived or some other reason, they compared them with women who um, chose not to get an abortion. 
it, it, it was a very convoluted study, but the bottom line is don't believe it. Because, yes, I mean, first of all, I, I do believe in abortions. I do believe in choice. Um, and um, so I think that certainly for some women in some predicaments that abortion is the better choice, really. But um, even for women who voluntarily choose it, well, I mean, it would, be, it would only be women who voluntarily choose it. Well, I mean, like, not women who were necessarily raped and, and therefore cho- chose it, but, like, just women who were too young, didn't, weren't able to take care of a baby, what, what weren't in a, um, a permanent relationship, whatever the reason is, well, I believe that a woman should have that choice over her body. But in any case, even when they have voluntarily and rationally chosen this, and it was for them the better decision, of course they are still um, bothered by it years later. I mean, that doesn't mean that it still wasn't the better choice because the other choice would have been worse. But, but you know, I, I know lots of patients who on the birthday, the day that their child was supposed to have been born, think about that child, think about, oh, he would have been one today, or he would have been two today, or, I mean, you know, it doesn't go away. So these kinds of misleading so-called studies um, are dangerous for your health. <laughs> and uh, now I'm hearing the uh, music, so this is, uh, this is as far as I can go. I want to wish you a very happy holidays after I gave you all these things. So now you've learned, okay, from today's show, you've learned to, first of all, be open to share with people to, uh, we're all human, to, um, you know, tell people when you feel awkward and so on. It's not the worst thing in the world. It actually makes things better when you're honest about what's going on. That's number one. And number two, um, understand where your sexual messages come from and, um, and, and also, of course, that if there's anything that's kind of been nagging at you, um, then go to the doctor and check it out. So I wish you a very happy holidays, happy actually Hanukkah and Christmas fall on the sa- over the same period of time coming up this week, and um, I will see you next Tuesday. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. Thank you for listening, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.